0: Oh, I was muted. Oh. I'm, I'm hitting feedback. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks for being here, everybody. Um, I'm going to start class with a prayer, and then we'll get moving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this family that we can live together and and love together and go through pain and suffering together and get closer to each other and closer to you through it all. And I pray that you'll be with us in this study of Job, that we can glean from it and learn from it what you want us to, so we can be better equipped to serve you and to, to love you and to show other people that you love them as well. It's in your sons' name we pray, amen. So, uh, welcome to God on Trial. It's a study on the book of Job. Uh, I'll get to the what, why the God on Trial title in a minute. Um, It's really loud. Uh, So, uh, get so get ready for a mental roller coaster that lies ahead. Um, Job is is a very complicated book. It's one of the most confusing books for some people, Um, and as one commentator put it, uh, he says, the book of Job has been designed to stimulate your mind and heart by raising huge questions about God's character and the meaning of human suffering. However, just so you know, no straightforward answers lie within. Yay. (laughs) Rather, the reader is invited to ponder the pain and complaining of Job, the puzzling speeches of God, and the surprise conclusion of the whole story. Most people finish the book feeling unsure they got the point, but convinced they've experienced something profound and that's so true. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this class with you all It's been a while since I taught a full quarter class, but it's been quite a year for me um, this but this is a book that I've been feeling a lot of connection with lately, and especially with the things that Job says himself about himself and quite frankly it's a class I need and I tend to teach classes that I need to hear myself. Um, So for those of you who don't know what what I'm getting at, uh, briefly, just over two years ago, uh, I'll try to say this without crying, all this stuff, I was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease. Um, I was only 41, and obviously it was a massive blow. Um, I suffered a lot mentally, emotionally, and spiritually when that diagnosis came, Uh, Feelings of fear and loss were ever-present and fear for what might happen to me and what it might mean for my family and loss for the future that I was supposed to have and now was guaranteed I wouldn't have. But over time, and with the help of God and many of you here, I was able to get to the point which I felt able to fight back. I wasn't happy about it, obviously, um, but I was definitely on the path to acceptance and emotional healing. Then this past June... Just as I was picking myself up from the blow of Parkinson's, I started having some weird neurological symptoms which led me to the ER. And two weeks later, I was told that on top of Parkinson's disease, I have multiple sclerosis. And the Band-Aid over my healing wound was ripped off fast and hard. Um, And suddenly I had two degenerative neurological diseases when one was plenty. Uh, I'm still trying to process it all. I mean, it hasn't even been six months. and I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with it. And I've been told that I look fine. That you know, what's the problem? What's the deal? But that's because I take over twenty pills a day and uh, give myself an injection every other day, and all these things to just keep myself functioning. Uh, without my medications, it's it's not a pretty sight. Um, and I know there are much worse things than neurological diseases. I have my family still. I've Not lost a child. Um, I don't have a deadly disease. The but I want to know why. It still hurts. I'm I'm feeling it's it's weird to feel lost for things you haven't had yet. To have a loss for a future that's gone. Um, But I want to know why would God allow this? And like Job, I was quite honestly kind of angry with God for a while for allowing this to happen to me. I have never once felt like that God did it to me, but he sure could have stopped it, right? I mean, why would he allow this to happen? Um, and I started thinking some ridiculous, kind of selfish things, like hadn't I pleased God enough? I mean, I sacrificed years of my life as a missionary in Germany. I've done so many things for him. I, I try to please him. I, I, don't I get a pass on this kind of stuff? If not pass on one thing, what, what, what do I have to get to just wasn't fair, or just, and it just wasn't right. Um, and like I said, neither disease I have is deadly, just slowly debilitating. So I felt like, kind of like the scene from Princess Bride. It's not to the death, it's to the pain. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of how I feel like my life is in a lot of ways. But, I wanted, but even in my pain and despair, I knew that God was there, and I knew he was part of my life and i wanted to understand god and why this was okay with him why was it why did god allow this to, to happen um, i felt severely lacking in wisdom and to understand this so i started reading a lot of ecclesiastes proverbs and job which leads us to today central to the entire book of Job is the question if God is good and powerful why doesn't he always reward the good and punish the bad it seems like that's how things should work the bad people get bad things and good people get good things but that's not how it works in other words why does God let bad things happen to good people it's a question we hear a lot and this world is full of suffering of many kinds like I said much worse than I have had to deal with for sure um and we all have to deal with it eventually in some form or fashion. And it's never fun or convenient. That's why it's called suffering. Um, it, but almost without fail, the first question that hits us is, is, why? Why, and I'll ask you guys, and try to, when you make a comment, try to speak nice and loud so everybody can hear. I'll try to, rep, to repeat a little bit as well. But why are we so obsessed with the question of why? Why? When bad things happen, why do we want to know why? We don't like not knowing. It seems unfair. Which, yeah. and if God is good, why is why is it unfair? Yeah.
1: I also think it gives the person a sense of control. Feels like we've lost control. Okay. Yeah, I feel completely out of control with something as an illness, and um, it gives you a sense of control, so if you figure out why, you can do something about it, or gives you better understanding. It just for me, it would give me a sense of control.
0: Yeah, we feel like if if I know why, maybe I can do something about it. Maybe I can fix the problem that... that and that Job has that kind of feeling a lot as well. Like, maybe if, maybe if I do this one thing, God will change my, my, my life. Or, like, if I feel like I've done so much for God, why is this happening? It alleviates some of the
1: misunderstanding between me and God. Yeah.
0: Joshua? Yeah.
2: Okay. And maybe it's worth the
0: suffering. Yeah. If if the pain is justified, then it kind of takes a little bit of the pain away. It doesn't hurt as bad. Somebody over here have something? Okay. What, what, what they said? <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I think that a lot of it comes down to what we we want to feel like that what we're going through has a meaning, or has a purpose. And if we feel like it has a, a purpose, like Joshua is saying, like it, ha- then then it feels like the thing is not. It doesn't hurt as bad because I can, I can go through lots of pain, for my wife or for my kids or whatever. You know what I'm saying? If if there's a if it's gonna achieve a thing, I can do it. I may not like it, but I can still go through that. But if we have this pain and suffering for seemingly no reason and purpose. That's just really hard to wrap our heads around, and it hurts. Um, and I think one of the reasons answering this question is so difficult because when we ask "Why me?" Well, we're really—if if we kind of follow that question along to the to the conclusion, of the next question, and the next question is we're actually asking, "How does God work in this world? How does how does fairness work?" How does he decide what happens and what doesn't happen or what he gets involved with or what he doesn't get involved with? And asking how God works is a, it's an almost impossible question to answer because he is, he's so beyond us, it, it just, it's just not possible. And so as Christians, when, when suffering comes along, a lot of, we, want, we want to turn to Scripture to figure out what's going on, and we want some comfort from Scripture. And we want answers. And so we tend to turn to the book of Job for comfort and direction, but too often we come away disappointed. Why Why is that? Why does the book of Job not give us comfort we're looking for? Well, for me, God didn't give a straight answer. Yeah, God never gave him a straight answer, yeah. I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah, I mean, if, I apply to, if I apply Job to my life, I still don't have an answer about why. I mean, there's a lot, it's a long book. There, there are 42 chapters, but that is never one of the answers. Yeah. Yeah, we as the reader kind of know right. Right. We we kind of know the setup. Right, but but Job doesn't doesn't know that. Which a little
1: bit sense of that purpose he doesn't take away the
0: suffering. Yeah, I'm not sure it would make him feel super good. Right, but exactly. Um yeah, and and sometimes I think that there's even not a why, to why things happen. Um, sometimes, when we ask the question why, sometimes the answer is wait and see, or it's just because life happens. Yeah, David.
2: Yeah, I think we ask why because we're human beings and we have the ability to think at that level. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you can go crazy asking why.
2: Yeah, and so it's, we're made that way, we're wired that way, and yet there does seem to be a line where we should forget why. I don't know, That's yeah. not a forbidding of asking it and grinding through it, but I think at some point, we just don't get to know why. Yeah. And, you know, now what is a better way to
0: go? Now what? That's you a know, good question. You
2: know, yeah. um, and to your point, you know, Jesus talks about the other thing you want to know about how God works, and I know you're going to get into this, is like, does righteousness protect me from stuff? Yeah. You know? Um, right. And the answer probably is some stuff. Yeah. You know, the consequences of evil that you can avoid. hmm
0: Yeah. Yeah, the Bible answers a lot of questions about how he works in general, but sometimes not about me.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. At a very early age, we want our kids to just like, ah, stop asking. Yeah, when your kid asks you why something and you say, you're too young to understand, that doesn't help necessarily. (laughs) They're going to keep saying, why, why, why. Yeah. I mean, so so we're obviously, he wired us to be inquisitive. Right. But at a certain level, we're just, we're never going to break that that class. Yeah. Nathan? We want to know what, which input gets the right output.
2: Yeah. Was I
0: not praying the right way? Right. You know,
2: how do I control you, God? How do you work? So, where's the button? So that I don't suffer again? Because this was horrible? Yeah. And I think that is a, an answer we get from Joe no, I'm bigger than David.
0: Right, and that's a, it's a question that his friends bring up a lot throughout the book when his friends are talking to him and. They bring up a lot of, well, if you would have just done this, then that, right. and a lot of assumptions. And uh, I think that, even, like like I was saying, even if we know those things, we still want to know why. We still want to know how God works. So uh, we've kind of asked this a little bit already, but, you know, if if it doesn't give us comfort in the answers, then what does it give us? It, it, what does Job give us if, if not those things? Yeah. Perspective. Perspective. Okay. Yeah, Kathy? Another sufferer, yeah. Yeah, it it helps to know you're not the only one. (laughs) Yeah. Hope. Hope? Okay. Yeah, I I think
1: the one thing to keep in mind is um, we get one chapter that Job doesn't get. We get chapter one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, at least we get an answer to why Job suffers.
1: So that's one thing I love about the book is it reveals that there's a bigger picture to somebody's life than they can see. Right. And it doesn't give us that we're going to get that bigger picture in our own lives, but it does reveal that sometimes there is a bigger picture that's more beautiful and more grand than you can possibly imagine.
0: Yeah, and I think in some ways Job also gives us a, a model of how to handle suffering in some ways. Not necessarily the only way, but, you know, I think it's... And this is something I struggled with a lot when, with all my health issues, is the the fact that I feel angry with God, but feeling guilty for feeling angry with God, but realizing that's okay to feel that way. And God and it, Psalms is is a good example of this kind of stuff as well. As as far as a thing happens and and you you have these emotions and and then you feel a certain way or you're suffering a certain way and Job kind of Shows that that's kind of okay to do and to to work through those things, um, and so throughout throughout this class, I want to attempt to answer a few questions, like what like what is Job really about? What's this book really about? Um, what does this book tell us about God? What does it really tell us about suffering and pain in the world? Um, and I'm not I'm obviously going to answer all of those questions fully, but I thought we're gonna we're gonna take a, a shot at it. Um, so getting into the book itself, what are some things that come to mind when you think about Job? Anyone? Can be, you know, free association here. Yeah. Job was being attacked by Satan, and we are being attacked by Satan as well. Okay. It's, it's a global thing. Yeah, like we're not the only people that are being attacked, right?
1: Right. He he had good friends for seven days. Right. You know, so he must you know, during that suffering time of suffering he must have been a very loving experience. Okay. I think that happens to us. Yeah. Carla? When I think of Joe I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just sad.
0: Sadness. Yeah, he lost a lot. I mean, lost, yeah. more than I can imagine. Yeah. Dane?
1: Wisdom. Because someone decided to call it a wisdom book. So
0: okay. Wisdom. Okay, someone else? I thought I said, yeah. He was righteous in spite of what happened to him. Okay. Yeah, can. Okay. I would have thought I was just think
1: Ancient? Ancient? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, suffering. Is a suffering. Part of Job and what Am I the only person who thinks of like Leviathan and Behemoth?
1: <laughs>
0: Monsters. Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, it seems kind of cold of God. It's,
2: it's like it's set up. Yeah. Job doesn't have a chance. I mean, he, he has a chance to show his mettle, but um, it's like Satan approaches God and says, let me do this. And God's going, okay,
1: let's, let's see what happens. Okay. I guess I have to explain this one. The first word that popped in my head was Uninspired?
0: Uninspired.
1: quote the book of Job and you realize you're quoting some guy that the whole point of the book is that he's not as Yeah. And,
0: and A lot of the book is incorrect.
1: And, and, and then when I realized that, 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 um, that that's kind of the point of the book, you keep seeing this phrase through the book, I'm tired of your long-winded speech. Yeah. And, and he says that and, and you realize that the point of the length and the dullness and the, of the book of Job is the, that is the point. Yeah.
0: Uninspired. Um, I'm going to keep moving on here. We've got, <clears throat> I've got three more pages to go through. <clears throat> um, but I want to start, I want to go through uh, some of the basics, like author and date stuff, really quick to kind of get that out of the way. So we're going to play Jeopardy. Anybody like play Jeopardy? So here's the answer Where's the, music? the author of Job, the date it was written, and when it took place. Question is? What, what is nobody knows? <laughs> yeah, well, things we don't know about Job. Yeah, we don't know these things. Um, he did say that. Oh, I didn't. Oh, man. <laughs> You're right. I failed my own test. Yes. What is things we don't know about Job? Um, so we, we don't know these things. We don't, there are some, tradi- <clears throat> some traditions about some, some of the rabbis say that Moses wrote it, but that's unlikely. Um, some, we don't know when it was written. Uh, we have guesses. Some some people think that it's super, super old um, based on the vocabulary, but it could also mean that it's just super high, complicated literature and that it wasn't a super, super old. Um, time period, we don't know. Some people think that it was during the patriarchal times because Job does sacrificing himself and doesn't have a priest do it. But we're, we're told that Job is not an Israelite, so that wouldn't really matter. He, was, he lived in the land of Uz, which I'll get to in a second. But... Bottom line, these things really don't impact the meaning of the, the book, the message, what it's trying to get across. Um, and so I, I don't, that's why I don't want to spend a lot of time with these. But along with um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, as it was mentioned earlier, Job is a part of what we call the wisdom literature, which is the term is actually kind of a sort of modern. It's like a 19th century concept, this wisdom literature thing with those three books. Because if you look back at, in, in ancient times, the entire Old Testament is kind of considered wisdom literature. It's just how to, how to, how to be wise and how to, how to please God along, in general. But um, it's, the book is basically a bunch of dense, complicated, philosophical Hebrew poetry sandwiched by a narrative at the beginning and the end of what, what happens to Job. Um, and central to the discussion is by what policies does God rule the world? What, what's, how does God do things? Um, as mentioned, it's got complex verbiage. There are more words used in Job, used only in Job than any other book. And it seems to to know that it's kind of messing with your feelings and opinions about God and and suffering. Um, and one of the, one commentator said that of all the books in the Bible, it's the most self-aware that it's a piece of high literature. And the the way it's structured, I mean, it's, it's entirely a poem, the entire thing. And uh, well, whenever anybody 's talking it 's kind of a poetry thing um, and as jeff mentioned it 's full of a lot of incorrect information, pretty much not everything, but pretty much everything that his friends say is wrong, and even a lot of the things that Job says are wrong, but it 's this this uh, back and forth that that brings a lot of depth to things and I love this there 's a lot of sarcasm in Job. <laughs> I, I read through the entire thing yesterday and I, I just laughed at some of these. Like, Job's like, surely, surely, my discerning friends, you are the wise ones. And when you pass away, the sum total of all wisdom will perish from the earth. <laughs> and then I love, God even gets sarcastic. He's like, tell me which way is it to where the light resides and darkness? Where does the darkness live? Oh, but of course you know. After all, you were alive way back when everything was created, and your days have been many indeed. Um, so, God getting a little sassy there with Job. And his friends, um, but that that brings us to the title character of Job. The first line of the book says, "In the land of Uz, there was a, there lived a man whose name was Job." Um, the the Hebrew is is kind of pronounced Eob or Yob, but we call it Job. But anybody know what the name Job means? Yeah, nobody does. It's just a name that <laughs> is a distinctly non distinctly non Hebrew name that. It might mean, um, "Where is my father?" Or it might mean an enemy, but or but we're not really sure. Um, and we do, we like I said, we do know that he's not an Israelite, but and none of his Israelites, none of, none of his friends are Israelites either. The only one who might be is, is maybe Elihu, um, based on his name, but um, the others have distinctly non-Jewish names, uh, and. But the book does seem to be written clearly by an Israelite for an Israelite audience because of the way things are described and set up. And he lived in a, lived in a place called Uz, or Uds, however you want to say it. Any guesses about where that is? Well, nobody knows. It's mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament, um, and there are some guesses about like maybe an Edom or some areas like that, but... You could, it's, it's kind of a, it kind of has become a, way, a Hebrew way of saying Timbuktu or a land far, far away. So this first line of Job 1, you could almost retranslate to in a land far, far away, there was a non-Israelite whose name was Job. So what might be the significance of that wording? Is there any, does anything strike you about that kind of phrasing? In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, kind of sounds fictional. Sounds like a story. Yeah. Well,
1: if it's if it's ancient enough, there wouldn't be a such a thing as an Israelite. It, depending
0: on what the book is. If it's ancient enough, yeah, it, it could be that there was no such thing as an Israelite. It's a good point. Yeah. Part of us think that's a given. Yeah. If it's ancient enough, we don't know what it is. yeah yeah and right and we get into that in a little bit later in the in the following verses about how he was a righteous man like nobody was as righteous as Job, and the fact that he was considered super righteous even though he was not an israelite is is i think of note yeah Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: it's signaling.
0: Yeah, I think I think, yeah, like I said, I don't know if God's doing this in this situation, but it does. I, I do think of the, the time that we're living in now, where you don't have to be a quote unquote Israelite to be a righteous person. It's it's God is saying that any anybody can follow Me. You don't have to be of the line of Abraham necessarily. Yeah, Dane. I don't know, maybe the, the, God is bigger than this tribe of people. Yeah, God is bigger
2: than just these people.
0: I think that's right. Um, so, and, and this this question kind of, to me, leads me into the the question of what's the genre of Job. This is one of the most important questions you can a- ask when you're reading any anything really. <laughs> I was going to say when you read the Bible, but any, anything you read, you want to know what is this genre so I understand how to read it because you're going to read a proverb very differently than you read a a, a poem or a history. Or a letter or whatever it might be. So what, what could the genre of this book be? Any guesses? Or opinions? Yeah. Epic. An epic? Okay. It's one of the things I've written down. Anyone else? You
1: said that they speak
0: in poetry. Yeah, poetry. Could it could be just an extended poem? Um, a historical account, a parable, uh, a cautionary tale. Uh, it, it could be a lot, lots of different things. And um, because sometimes the book sounds like it's telling a true story about a guy who actually lived. And sometimes the way that it's it's written, with even some of the new numbers that it uses, like seven sons is a very perfect number of sons to have. And um, the fact that he gets double later, and all this, the, the it sounds like it's a like a, a story that's. Um, written to teach somebody a lesson um if you read the whole thing in one sitting i, I did this yesterday i re- i recommend it just it's a long book but it, it goes pretty quickly if you read the whole thing in one setting it kind of it feels like uh like an a uh, an ancient play with the way the way like the the greeks would have like what's what's the play you're mentioning Antigone or something, like people like standing standing up there and saying a thing, and then somebody else gets up and says a thing, and then later, at like chapter twenty eight or so, when Job's done, there's kind of an aside where um, like somebody not in in the like in the, like a narrator talks about how mighty God is, and then Elihu comes along and's like, "Oh, God is coming! I see God coming!" And then God's like, "I am in the clouds," and and it's, so it, it just sounds kind of like a a, a play, like a drama. Um, What people often want to know is, was Job a real person, or is this just a story? And we don't know. Uh, And it kind of doesn't make a difference to me. Uh, Some people feel feel very strongly about this, that they want Job to have been an actual person who went through these actual things, and this stuff happened in heaven this way, and God said these things, and so forth. Um, But one thing that is agreed upon from all the commentators is it's squarely in the realm of what we t- what we deem as wisdom literature that's trying to teach us wisdom, how to live life, and then um, as such, it makes uh, wisdom literature makes no claims on the nature of events, but it provides a thought experiment, kind of like chapter thirty one of Hebrews, describing the the righteous woman. It's not describing a woman specific like by name. It's just describing this this ideal person, and so. That's kind of how wisdom literature approaches story of things. And so, it's kind of a, I, I consider this a wisdom thought experiment. Was Job a real guy? Maybe. It, it doesn't change the message either way. Um, could, could this been have, have been like a parable? Sure. I mean, Jesus taught exclusively in parables, pretty much. It's not out of the realm of possibility for his father to have done the same thing. Um, but I, th- I think that, like I said, I don't, I don't think it changes the, the, the message of the story. Um, one problem that we run into is that there are many genres in ancient literature. Like, this is an old book. No matter how old it is, it's, it's older than us by a long shot. There are a lot of genres in ancient literature that don't quite correspond to modern day. Um, and we know of at least six other stories in ancient Mesopotamia that we have records of that follow this precise storyline of a pious man suffering for no obvious reason with philosophical theological discussions of the situation at hand. So back then, it was kind of a genre unto itself of a way to discuss how the gods worked and how things worked in the world and what the retribution principle meant for the world, etc., And all of those six books or six stories in in ancient Mesopotamia have the same conclusion, uh, or more or less, that the gods are kind of petty and do what they feel like doing, and the only way to, to please them is to do the right things. And if you do the right things, then you'll be blessed. And Job seems kind of like an answer to that, an answer to those things, that doing the right thing is good, but doesn't necessarily make you... Blessed in every uh, situation, Um, but we lose nothing by accepting that Job's story is historical, and we gain nothing by concluding that it's fabricated. And those statements could be switched and remain true. Um, It's, it's, however, it's not unlikely that there was a guy named Job, because ancient literature didn't really have the concept of fiction. They tended to, if a person was mentioned it probably was a person that people knew, at least the people who received the book initially. Probably somebody that they knew about, that they had an established history of this person as a, a righteous person. Um, and so it, it's probably based upon a real person, even if it, this exact thing didn't happen. Um, so either way, like I said, it, it does seem to be a thought experiment to me, but it does, it, what it teaches us about God is, is the key point. Um, after all, God teaches his children in many ways. So I hope I didn't blabor that point too much. Yeah.
1: I think that's a really important point because I think one thing that's messed a lot of scholars today up and people up is we grow up in English classes and we're taught that there's allegory and there's, there's what's low. Right. it's literal doesn't mean it's not allegorical. And just because it's allegorical doesn't mean
0: it's not literal. The two are great in Jewish literature often. Yeah, and going back to the class I taught a few years ago about misreading scripture with western eyes, it's really hard to look at these ancient books without the glasses we wear of the American view of literature, the western view of literature. And so, some people, it bothers if I say Job was a parable. That really bothers them, and that I'm not. I don't want to bother anybody about that. But realizing what Jeff was saying about how the Israel, the ancient Jewish, a view of allegory versus literal things is it was, is much more mixed together than we we tend to see it.
2: Yeah. could be.
0: yeah I think if that's a good point if we if we call it an allegory, it may make things easier to accept for some people right. um but I think it's it it's important that it's not um, we don't we don't know yeah. and I think that we need to be honest with ourselves about the what we're learning about how God works because either either way that's that's described this is how God is doing things yeah. Yeah. and so I think that that's still important to note right. um so to close out, just this last week, I was wh- long after I decided about the title of this class, God on Trial, I came across this movie called God on Trial uh, from 2008. It takes place in Auschwitz during World War II, and a group of Jewish men, with some of the rabbis in, in their barracks, decide to put God on Trial for the genocide of World War II, and apparently this, is a, this, is a, this actually happened. It was based on a play written by a person who witnessed this trial. And the charge they finally bring against, against God is breach of contract with the Jewish nation, stating that the covenant with Abraham had been broken by God allowing them to be uh, systematically destroyed. And in the end, they find God guilty for doing that. And in, the, speech, in the, final, the final speech of the trial, one character states that God used to be on their side, but that he was never a good God. For how could a good God allow such things to happen? And now he was on the side of the Nazis. And I chose this as a title for the class because this book is not really about Job. This book is about putting God on trial for allowing suffering in the world. And it asks if God allows the good to suffer and the bad to prosper, is he a just and a good God? And that's really what the book is about, and that's what we talked about in class. Like I said, I'm not promising answers, or, or that the answers will be ones that you like. Um, but I'm promising we will learn about God together. And next week we're going to go, it's going to be kind of quick, but we're going to go through the entire story of Job, um, and starting to hone in on exactly what God is on trial for. So, if you have a chance between now and then, please try to read through the entire book. If you have time, it takes a couple hours. Read just once in one sitting. Just read through the whole thing, and you'll be better prepared for next week. Yeah. What I love about Job is the fact when you're going through hard times, you
2: can sit back and say, "Do I trust God? What am I going to learn from this?" And that has helped me get through the loss that I've gone
0: through. Yeah. Yeah, when, you, when you're going through pain and asking what you can learn from it is, is huge. It can help a lot. Okay, thanks everybody.